Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And uh, as always, super, super excited that you are able to connect with us uh, and and be with us this morning. So uh, let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going to some more stuff. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives, that you are faithfully present with each one of us, wherever we're at, geographically, emotionally, spiritually, in any way we are. You have come to be with us, that we could be with you and enjoy fellowship with you. I pray that we would do that and, and enjoy uh, your spirit in a way that, that overcomes distance and boundaries and restrictions and all kinds of things that we would actually not just know on paper, but we would sense in our hearts in this very moment, in this very prayer, that we are united in a way that only you can do. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, sometimes during the service uh, and during worship, we get uh, messages and words uh, from you all, um, and, and we uh, got one uh, this morning um, from uh, Jessica uh, Brady, and, uh, and it says this. I think it's a great lead-in for what we're going to talk about today uh, and some of the stuff we're going to be going through. It says, we are being called to change. Change is hard. Change causes discomfort. If you are feeling that this morning, it's okay. It's good. God is in the discomfort. There is hope in the midst of the discomfort. Be encouraged and know that you are not alone. And with that, too, I want to uh, just let you know that if you have a word or something like that, uh, you can always text it to myself or Rich or Brian. Um, and we will do our best to get it in if it kind of fits with uh, what's being said or if, it, if, if, if it, we have the sense with you that it is from the Lord and for everyone to hear. And so, um, yeah. So with that, um, yeah, let's go. Um, I want to start by reading the text we're going to look at. Then I'm going to sort of explain where we're going this month and we'll get back to the passage later. But I want it rumbling around in you. Uh, as, as we start. So here it is. It's going to be Luke 9, 51 through 56. You can uh, check it out on the Bible app on our uh, online uh, dashboard there, or uh, you can open up your Bible to Luke 9, 51 through 56, or you can just read along on the screen. It'll be there as I read it. So here we go. Luke 9, 51 through 56 says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples named James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So this next month, we're going to be going through a series that uh, we're entitling Citizens, Healers in an Age of Division. Um, and as you can guess from the title, uh, it is a series that is intended to help us engage with the times and, and, and the current things that are going on. Uh, and you might be asking, why? 
why a few days before uh, an election day in a really, really tumultuous time, why would you be doing this? Um, isn't it just safer to, to avoid it altogether? Um, and in some ways, yes. But uh, this guy, uh, he's a pastor named A.J. Shirell. Uh, he said this. He said, the role of the church is not to manage the institution, but proclaim the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is inherently political. So there's this sense that somehow our proclamation of the kingdom of heaven being lived out on earth has an impact on politics. And, and you might say, well, how does that happen? And uh, it, it, it comes from this word, politics, that, that uh, is, has its origins in a word that means really simply how we get along, right? It's, it's how we engage with one another. And Jesus actually has a ton to say about that. Um, and so we're going to be exploring some of that uh, over the next uh, four weeks and certainly uh, today. This guy uh, named David Fitch uh, has this quote. It's a little bit of a long one, but that's all right. It says, we live in angry times. Wherever we go, whether church, school, city hall, or Capitol Hill, whatever we watch, this is obviously a pre-COVID uh, quote, but it still fits. Whatever we watch, whether cable, television, Facebook, or local theater, and however we do things, whether by mail or Twitter, in person, or in a meeting, in it all, our culture is rife with vitriol and conflict. And when the news of yet another mass shooting hits the airwaves, and I think we can also insert in there uh, election stuff, uh, racial uh, issues, social issues, pandemic issues. So, so whenever a news of another one of these things uh, hits the airwaves, we shake our heads in disbelief. The hate in our culture is appalling, and everybody, it seems, is caught up in warding off yet another enemy. Something has gone wrong in our society, and we don't know what to do about it. Meanwhile, the church appears little different. This is from David Fitch in his book, The Church of Us Versus Them. Some of you, and myself, at the thought of just mentioning the word politics from this space, uh, stirs up a lot of feelings. Some fear, some confusion, uh, some excitement for some people, um, but... I want you to know, stay with us, because I think you're going to find it. It might be different than you're thinking. Um, but I want you to take a moment and, and explore the why behind whatever you're feeling. If you're feeling afraid, why are you feeling afraid? If you're feeling confused, can you try to identify what, what's behind that or what question is stirring you? If you're excited, what is stirring that for you? But what is, what is the why behind your feeling as we start saying th the word politics as we're talking from here. Because what we really want is we want to resource the church, ourselves, to be healers in a time of chaos and division and strife. And so what does it mean for us to be citizens of heaven and draw on that story as we engage with our civic duty here on earth? Now, before we go any further, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, and in my notes, I have a picture of Wile E. Coyote, if you know who he is. He's a cartoon character, uh, often uh, trying to chase down and hunt a roadrunner. Uh, he orders a lot of products from Acme Industries. If you ever 
see that, don't ever order anything from them because according to the cartoon, they all fail uh, miserably. Maybe user error, we don't know. Uh, but he's holding a sign, he's falling down, and it says, oh, that did not go how I planned. Um, how many of you have had a conversation in the last month concerning politics that felt really bad? That you walked out of it thinking, uh, that did not go the way I planned. And no matter what you tried, no matter what you did, no matter what technique you employed or what heartfelt thing you said or whatever you shared, it seemed to sort of sabotage the conversation somehow. I know I have. Lots of them. And I know lots of people have. And conversations where family members are no longer talking to each other, people who have been friends for a long time are no longer speaking to each other. I want to introduce two groups of people to you. The first one, we'll just call it group A for right now, is uh, we're going to describe them as government lovers. They love the government so much that they work for the government. But others see them tied up in a tangled web of corruption. They are steeped in systems that some deem oppressive, and they are marked by marginalized people and said to oppress those marginalized people. They are considered by the marginalized to be traitors. There's another group of people, not the government lovers, but the government haters. You could recognize this group from a long ways away. They're so vocal and aggressive and they're deeply convicted in their beliefs and uncompromising in their opposition. And they wouldn't mind if the government was overthrown completely and not only would they not mind, but they would actually think it would be better if it involved like a physical takeover. If you were to empathize with government supporters or certainly the government lovers, this group would quickly label you a traitor. Now, you could have all kinds of thoughts rolling through your head. Well, well who are these groups really? Well, we actually meet them in Scripture. The group Team A, the government lovers, are called publicans. And they are the Jewish people who have partnered together with Rome. We know them often as tax collectors, right? This group who has partnered with Rome and lots of times for their own benefit also. And they are considered in Scripture to be worse than sinners. You'll often read as, as someone's going through a list and they'll say, so-and-so was with sinners and tax collectors, Matthew is a publican and he's called by Jesus to follow Jesus. So that's team A, the publicans. Team B are known as the zealots and they're the defenders of the Torah, right? They believe that the Roman Empire should be despised and destroyed because of their occupation of Israel. We hear lots about them in the Maccabean Revolt and some of these other uh, sort of revolts that took place. Simon was a zealot, and he was called by Jesus to follow Jesus. And so we have publicans and zealots who were natural enemies, and they hated not only what the other believed, but often the people themselves. But in the calling of both Matthew and Simon by Jesus to follow Jesus, we see a reality of an affiliation that is superior, not bolstered by or in service to 
any of one's earthly allegiances, political or otherwise. If we look at Philippians 3, 18 through 21, it says this. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of somewhere else. But what happens is that when one's honor becomes tied around the defense of an earthly citizenship, the questions start to change about who we are and how we're supposed to live and what is the outcome of things. And in fact, the questions shift from those to more of a question of who wins, who stays on top, who's superior. Who has the most of this? Who can do this? And that pursuit of that question then becomes this defense of deeply held values. Ones that have been meaningfully formed over a long period of time and often uh, defended by any means necessary. And I think what happens is as Christians, this becomes true in a unique way when it especially feels like Jesus' character and reputation are on the line. What we find out though with Jesus is that what Jesus is after is not a defense of his reputation or his character, but he's after the reordering of the earth's allegiance with his greater story. And so the question then, and that becomes not a question of who wins, there's a new question. It's actually two questions, and it becomes who is called and what will be the answer when Jesus calls. And you might be asking, what does this have to do with James and John? You're you're talking about something else, and what does this have to, you know, how does this pertain to this story of fire coming down and all this, and we're gonna get there. But I see the same question we're asking Jesus today. Who wins, Jesus? Who gets to do this? Who doesn't get to do that? Who is over here? Who is over there? Who is better? We see earthly allegiances being called into question, but it's really important to know the backgrounds behind these people. So we're talking about um, Simon and Matthew to, to learn their story, to understand that Jesus is bringing these two people together, even though they're from radically different places in so many ways. And what that does is it gives us some insight and a clue to the breadth and authority of Jesus, not only in the scriptures, but in our lives too. So I want to read that passage again, Luke 9, 51 through 56. It says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So we get this passage, which is often called the travel narrative, where Jesus, it says he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. This is the beginning of that sort of movement towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, where he's going to give his life and die for all that he came to save. Now there's a problem in this because it's not in that he sends his messengers ahead, but he sends them to a Samaritan village. And the Jewish elite uh, would have been deeply offended by this. And, and, and there's some reasons why. And we went over this just a little while ago, but I want to revisit it again because there's some issues between, um, uh, between Israel and, and, and Samaria. Um, and Samaria didn't, uh, it was part of Israel. They didn't have like a separate political existence from Judea. They were united at that time under the Roman uh, pure curator. But this is their, their history. Uh, after the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722, they deported all the Israelites of substance, all the important people, wealthy, powerful people, and settled the land with foreigners who then intermarried with the surviving Israelites. And then some of them adhered to some sort of their ancient religion, but also added in the worship of Yahweh. We read this in 2 Kings 17 and 18. So got all this kind of mixing and bringing together of different things. Later, the southern kingdom, Judea, would see the Samaritans as not only children of political rebels, but as racially mixed people whose religion was tainted and unacceptable. And this made them uh, not great to Judea. And in fact, when the Jewish people returned from Babylonian captivity starting in about 538 BC, the Samaritans offered to help them rebuild their temple, but that offer was refused by Judea. And eventually, within Samaria, the, the polytheistic aspect of what they were doing disappeared and they worshiped Yahweh alone. But they had some particulars about their worship, just like Judea did. In about 400 BC, the Samaritans built their own temple in Mount Gerizim and it had a lot of significant things happen in that area. So it was this sacred place. And that was where they believed they were to worship. They also had... Uh, belief that only the first five books of the Old Testament were, were sacred, the, or the ones that sort of had that authority. Everything else, the wisdom literature, uh, including the Psalms and the Proverbs, the prophets, that was not part of their sacred texts. In about 200 BC, the temple that they had built uh, on Mount Gerizim was destroyed by John Hyrcanus, the Hasmonean ruler in Judea. So Judea came and destroyed Samaria's temple. So there's this history, there's this difference, there's this rejection, this dismissal, there's destruction of temples between these two. And in fact, it was not uncommon for Samaritans to heckle and sort of stir up trouble with pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem. So it gives us a little insight into maybe why the Samaritans were not so hospitable as Jesus was going to the place that the Jews believed was the place to worship. But Jesus, being who he is, is not shy about staying away from pre-existing tension. He's not uh, going to avoid it. He's not going to just aggressively run into it, though. 
And we learn some things in this process. And, and so we have James and John, the sons of thunder, which uh, makes me think of some pro wrestling tag team, but that's a side issue. Um, I think what we learn from them is, one, I think they're displaying great faith in Jesus, right? Should we call fire down from heaven, fully believing that that could happen? That's faith, right? And it ties back uh, to 2 Kings uh, when we see Elijah um, doing something similar, right? So they're connecting Jesus to their spiritual ancestors, and, and so they have a lot of faith in Jesus and their connection to him and what that can do. But Jesus, like I said, he's not going to be aggressive in this and he's not going to sort of anxiously avoid it. He doesn't go into to Samar- to the Sumerians and say, look, you didn't even grant us hospitality. He doesn't go anything about the place of worship, but he talks to his followers. He says he rebukes his followers. And it brings up this reality that it is definitely in the realm of possibility that if we confess Christ, we consider ourselves uh, to be really near to Jesus, right? We could fall on either end of the political spectrum or anywhere in between. We could know our Bibles really well. We could pray a lot. And we could still miss the heart of Jesus' mission. that it's very possible to miss in our own hearts why Jesus came. And for that mission, to, to, we miss letting that mission inform how we live every day of the week. And when we talk about day-to-day, that's a phrase we use a lot around here, day-to-day or day-in and day-out, that being faithfully present in everything we do, We're not talking about just the moments where we're out in public or where we get to kind of form things for people to see. Like we get to shape our behaviors. We get to shape the things we're going to post somewhere. What does it mean to have the mission of Jesus inform our lives in everything we do? One person said that this is... uh, This is how we live in the dark cracks and crevices where no one else can see us in our day in and day out lives. Because there are a lot of people we get into conflict with and situations with that have well-formed arguments, could be us too, opinions, great resources, degrees, wonderful heads on our shoulders, wonderful families and good values and great hearts for social justice and great economic acuity and activistic yard signs and all the good stuff. But just like James and John, I wonder if we keep asking the wrong questions. Questions that are more in line with our earthly citizenship. Jesus, who wins? And again, if that question needs to change to become more in line with our heavenly citizenship of who is called to follow and who is called to be saved. Because too often we become more aware of what we're against and we sort of lose sight of what we're for. We spend so much time and energy in telling people what we're against that we forget the things that we're for and how to live those out. uh, John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through him, not to condemn, but to save. Jesus rebukes James and John. At other spots in Luke, he rebukes sickness, demons, weather, and here he rebukes James and John, his followers. And this word of rebuke means one of authority and redirection. Because there's a spirit of condemnation that had worked its way into their hearts. Should we bring down fire from heaven on these people? Because they didn't show us hospitality. It's the same spirit of condemnation that has resulted in all kinds of horrific things in human history. Jesus says, you've been removed from the Samaritans because of religious partisanship and James and John fail to recognize that as they follow Jesus that they can know the power of God that is strong enough to realign their hearts to move in a different way. Because distance from the people that God came for, distance from the very people that God has infused his image and likeness into, fashions oppression and fuels oppressors. That's why Jesus is rebuking his followers, because they were dangerously close to becoming the very thing that they were fighting by wanting to wipe people out. And then there's the Samaritans. They missed the gift of God being Emmanuel. They missed the gift of God being with them by rejecting him with a lack of hospitality. And so if you go by the world's question, who wins? In this passage, nobody wins. But you still can ask the citizen of heaven question of who is called. Everyone is called. Jesus had the power to extinguish groups of people. But if he had heeded James and John's request, we wouldn't have a picture of who a neighbor is. We wouldn't have the image of the good Samaritan as the person as an example of the person that Jesus came for us to be a neighbor to. Thanks be to God for Jesus. Because that's good news for the disciples and good news for us also. That Jesus responds differently, even in a rebuke. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, with me, thankfully, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone, 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 everyone is called, invited by Jesus to follow Jesus. And so when we draw upon our heavenly citizenship and these questions start to change, I think there are three invitations that we experience. The first one, is to resubmit to the main mission of Jesus. Why Jesus came in the first place. Not to condemn, 
or not to defend himself. But he came to save. Who? Everyone. One pastor uh, challenged their congregation to write down a list of values and then ask this question, do these draw me into deeper relationship and discipleship with Jesus or do they draw me into division? Which mission is this serving? The second one is refuse to be stalled or swayed by, uh, by offense. How did Jesus respond? Not aggression or anxiety. He didn't draw away. What did he do? He engaged. He wasn't afraid of the tension. He didn't avoid it, but he didn't go in like a zealot at the same time and tear everything apart. This is that part where you can either get stuck. Maybe you've felt this way in a conversation. <gasps> I'm stuck. Oh, I'm, I'm offended or some, some offense has been made and, and I'm stalled by it. Or maybe you've been swayed in your anger and you say something and as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, oh, that is not gonna go at all how I wanted it to. And the third is remember who was called. Jesus didn't pick one team or the other. He came and called from whatever team to do life together side by side and follow him, natural enemies. The mission is for us and for them, for you and for me. Don't you see that? That under Jesus' name, enemies become siblings, brothers and sisters. Under Jesus' name, supremacy and power and, and all the things that drive enemies and dominion and domination and all that oppression, the, the people in that become friends and put down weapons. Can we submit to that calling to live side by side? It doesn't necessarily start with... Um, uh, denying or renouncing beliefs, but, but instead following the invitation of Jesus and allowing an expansive opening of the kingdom of God that actually our political systems can't explain. How is it that these two people could be together? When I was a student at Western Washington University, my first year there, um, you may not believe this, but I, I had very long hair. Um, probably down to like here. Uh, I often wore it in a high ponytail in the back and two braids down the side doing some kind of Nordic Thor thing. At least I thought that's what it was. Um, and there were these two, uh, two guys uh, who we kind of lived in the same area uh, at Western called the Ridge. Um, and there were a bunch of dorms kind of gathered up in this, in this common area. Um, and uh, we often would encounter each other in the dining hall, and it was very clear that they didn't like my hair. Um, they had very short hair. Uh, and so there would be conversations. We'd, we'd be sitting several tables apart at times, and I could hear them say something like, I just can't believe that someone would wear their hair like that with the braids down the side and all that. Right? And I couldn't leave it alone, um, and so I would say something back. Like, well, at least I'm not following the culture, just some sort of like, uh, you know, 
some pop star trying to like walk the way everyone else does, right? And, and so we'd throw these insults back. We'd never get up and actually talk to each other, but we'd say it to our friends loud enough so that they could hear. It was this really bizarre situation. Um, and there, there were a couple times where there were some words thrown directly at each other, but those uh, thankfully were in public, and, and so nothing more happened than that. Um, but this was in a time in my life where I wasn't following Christ. Um, and so uh, some of you know my story. I, I ended up at Western and got connected with this group of people who loved Jesus um, I was in this weird relationship spot my relationship with God where I believed in God, but I didn't want anything to do with God. And I was very angry and they just kept on loving me and caring for me and, and sort of allowed me to, to, to rediscover uh, who God was. Um, and uh, I ended up signing up to be in this Bible study. I had never really been in a Bible study before um, in, in a core group setup, like they had a small group. And uh, as you can sort of get the sense from, from this story, the way it feels, is I uh, went to my first meeting, and there were six guys there. Two of them were these same two guys that uh, I really, really did not like. And I walked into the room with the, with the guy I went with, and if there was like a tension sort of thermometer on the wall, it would have exploded out the top. Um, because we made eye contact and we all kind of had this moment where we were like really is this what we're going to do is this is this what we have to do like jesus are you really going to ask me to do this please please no and in that space they made the first move to be kind to me and i watched them over the year and a half I was in a small group with them, do amazing things to pray for people, to care for people, to walk with people. They still hated my hair. And I didn't like them either. It took us a long time to sit and work through some of these things. And we didn't let go of some of our beliefs. We, they didn't let go of that they didn't like long hair. And I didn't let go of, I didn't like them for disliking my long hair or whatever. But um, after a while, we did set those things aside. We were able to love each other beyond that. We didn't necessarily seek each other out to hang out together. But we met weekly. We prayed for each other. We studied scripture together. And occasionally we even sat at the same table to eat. I not only think about what that changed in my own heart, but I think about several months of people, maybe not even weekly, but still every other week or so, hearing these people kind of shouting across the dining room, the dining hall at each other, and then all of a sudden seeing us sitting together, laughing, joking, and it wasn't that I had cut my hair. I still had long hair, right? Something had changed. Is it possible to sit with someone who, in many if not all aspects, is opposite us and see their image of godness, the Imago Dei? And because the reality that Jesus allows and calls and empowers enemies to become siblings, brothers and sisters, 
that the power of the Spirit can bring us together? Will we trade in the temptation to make enemies for the invitation to keep inviting people into this greater story? Because this is a story of our Lord Jesus who came not to condemn but to save. And this is why I am actually in this moment excited and hopeful for our future. Things are messy. Lots of us are experiencing pandemic fatigue, social upheaval fatigue, political chaos fatigue. Many of us are fearful because of the conditions of all of the above, add in racial issues, economic hardship, families not talking, and all of this heading into the holidays. And then in the midst of that, the reality that we may be called into Samaritan towns and villages that many people won't go near. Who is this mission for? Imagine a place where we can be together. And no matter who wins, we could walk together. Knowing that we are people who follow Jesus boldly because of his love for us. That we could be empowered by the Holy Spirit and embrace and pray together, be in worship and together honor Jesus and walk together. Because regardless of who wins the election, there is work that needs to be done. And it is absolutely true, I believe, that one political party over the other, it's going to be hard for us. But I have seen people, strong people, tired people, weak people, hurting people, healing people, all kinds of people, rise up out of difficult situations, debilitating situations, horrific moments, and through their actions proclaim the life of Jesus, his mission, and his love. And the thing that I love about all of this is it requires that it's done together. It can't be done by one person. In order for this to work, we have to be together. And I think we can do this. I think Jesus can lead us to a better place and we can look back and say, by the grace of God, look at where we have gotten to. I'm beginning to see a better place ahead of us. But I need you to help me. I need lots of people to help me. People giving a little bit of the vision here, a little bit of the vision there. As I hear someone speak of something they're hopeful for, So I wonder if we can follow Jesus together into something new. I have a few questions I want us to close with, uh, and they are these. They're going to be up on the screen. Um, Brian, in a moment, is going to uh, play instrumentally. You'll get a few minutes to, to, to sort of uh, reflect on the questions. They'll be in the, the online chat, too. So if you want to take them and, uh, and, and take them from there, you can do that. Uh, so here are the questions. Uh, have you felt the pull of other allegiances and other missions besides the mission of Jesus in this season in our world? Could be political, could be social, could be economic, could be philosophical, could be anything. But have you felt the pull to, to, to move away maybe from the mission of Jesus, the one of who is called everyone? Second question, what things have what things that have facilitated a feeling of offense in you have caused you to be stalled in inactivity or have swayed you to action that may not be in line with Jesus' mission? 
So again, this is investigating of, the, of those things that have stirred you or stalled you and you've responded in a way that maybe isn't in line with what Jesus has said. Uh, uh, what are those things? Third, are there people that you can think of that you have not thought of or treated as image bearers of God who have been called by Jesus? And there's lots we could say there, whether it's about a political party, about uh, different ethnicity, different race, uh, all kinds of things. If there's people that you have in your heart or in your actions treated as not being image bearers of God who have been called by Jesus, who are those people? And then how does your being, this is the fourth question, how does your being called by Jesus to follow him speak to any of those previous answers? What does it speak about those other allegiances? What does it speak about the things that have stalled you or, or maybe pushed you into actions that weren't in line with Jesus' mission? And certainly what does it speak to you about the people who you have not seen as image bearers who are called by Jesus? Okay, I want to pray that we'll move in that time of further reflection then we'll close with a song. God, in, in all this, we just continue to proclaim that you are Lord. We ask that you would soften our hearts where they have become hardened. We ask that, that the things that have divided us, whether it be a hairstyle or, uh, or political uh, allegiance or anything like that, Lord, wherever, whatever it is that causes division, that causes us to all of a sudden shift where we're like, mm, they're no longer someone who I can, or whatever things cause that, we pray you would soften our hearts in those areas. Help us to love deeply as you have. Help us to be willing to cross barriers. Help us be willing to be vulnerable, to risk being wrong, to care for someone. Help us to let go of the things that we so hold on to to try to protect both ourselves and when we try to defend you. God, help us to hear the people around us and help us to love them well. We ask all this in your name. Amen.